0: Your Bibles to Mark chapter 8 this morning. Mark chapter 8. I'm hoping to finish up Mark chapter 8 today. We started um, the last section of Mark 8 last week. We're in verses 34 through 38. I am not going to review everything that we talked about last week, but if you need the notes or a new note sheet, we do have note sheets here, and I will go back and just touch a couple of highlights in review as we get into new material. We'll start here with Elijah, Mark chapter 8, begin reading in verse 34, and we will read through the end of the chapter. So we'll go to Elijah, and then Miss uh, Heidi, and just kind of read along. And when he had called the people unto him, his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. So, verse 35. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, whosoever shall lose his life, for my sake and the gospel is his sake and his sake. Okay. Um, for what shall the prophet am I, if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall I make with you? Can mm. Whichever, whichever, whichever therefore, shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with holy angels. I'll, I'll just tell you right now, as a brief introduction, this is a passage of scripture that has always been very challenging to me, even dating back to when I was Ethan's age. Ethan is, I think, 12 now, even when I was dating back to Ethan's age and before. This particular passage of Scripture has always been a challenge to me. In our last study of Peter, um, Peter representing the sentiments of all the disciples made a bold declaration of faith in Christ. He says, Thou art the Messiah, the Son of God. And we said that that was important because it identified Peter as being... I'm sorry, it identified Jesus as being God, and Peter as recognizing the deity of Jesus. We said that in order to have a relationship with Christ, that it is essential that we confess that Jesus Christ is God. It is impossible to have a relationship with Christ, and I'll just say it is impossible to be saved if you cannot recognize the deity of of Christ we must acknowledge who he is that he is God we must acknowledge what he has done his death on the cross and we must acknowledge why he did it these are all foundational in order for us to have a relationship with Christ but just having salvation just having a get out of hell free card is not enough of what God wants from each one of us He wants us to engage our lives. He wants us to to become a, a follower of Him. He wants us to become a disciple of His. And last week we talked about how discipleship requires a decision. It requires a decision. Discipleship, becoming a follower of God, does not begin with work. It does not begin with a prayer. It does not begin with a doing christian service it does not begin with work it begins with worship discipleship begins with worship and it's really if we could if we could just get it down to its nuts and bolts it's all about a relationship a relationship with our heavenly father and it begins with a decision to work and to grow on that relationship. Jesus is looking for willing followers who will decide to surrender their lives to him. It begins with a decision to give ourselves totally and completely over to him. Then we also said last week that discipleship requires a denial. Reci- discipleship requires denial. Jesus said in our passage, Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We talked about the Apostle Paul last week, and how he not only lived this truth out, but he wrote extensively about this truth, about denying ourselves, denying the worldly influence in our lives and living for Christ. He wrote, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? He goes on to say in verse 20, For ye have been bought with a price. The Apostle Paul emphasized that our lives really, honestly, truly belong to Christ. They are not ours. Denying ourselves. when we're talking about discipleship requiring denial, we're talking about choosing God's will over our own will. We said that this was exactly what Christ demonstrated in the Garden of Gethsemane on the cross. So, last week we looked at two things about discipleship. Discipleship requires a decision, and discipleship requires a denial. Today we're going to go to discipleship requires devotion. Discipleship requires devotion. In Mark chapter 8, verse 35, it says, Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. A disciple of Christ must consider what we have to lose and what we have to gain. A disciple of Christ must consider what we have to lose and what we have to gain. It has been said that there are no U-Hauls behind a hearse. There are no U-Hauls behind a hearse. We can try to save our lives by holding on to the temporary things we gain during our time on earth, only to lose them in the end because we cannot carry them into eternity with us. The things that we accumulate here on earth, they are important to us. There are there is a shelf of pictures in our living room, and there are six pictures on that shelf. That those pictures are important, especially to my wife, but even to myself. And I would not want to lose those pictures even to the extent that I took and scanned those pictures so I have electronic copies of them and I can reprint them later if I need to. They are important to us. They are pictures of all of our kids at or right around the age of three months. But when I die, those pictures aren't going with me. They don't hold eternal value. We can either try to save our life and save things by holding on to the temporary things here on earth, or we can lose our lives by devoting ourselves to Christ and His work, and we'll save an eternal value by living for His glory. The writer of Matthew, Matthew, put it this way. Oh, seek ye first the kingdom of God, And then a little bit earlier in that passage, he wrote about how we are to lay not up treasures for yourself here on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, but lay up treasures in heaven. To lose yourself is not an act of desperation. It is an act of devotion. To lose yourself is not an act of desperation. It is an act of devotion. It is an act of saying, God, I trust you. I am placing my faith in you. I am following you. What I want, what I desire, is not as important as what you want in it, what you desire. Personal de- devotion should lead to practical duty, including the sharing of the gospel with the lost world. The more devoted we are to Christ, the more active we should be in our outreach. Some act as though devotion to Christ means withdrawing from the world. This was back, even today, there's this philosophy that the more devoted I am to Christ, I have to withdraw from everything around me. The monastery complex. We have to give up everything that makes life enjoyable and living a dull, mundane existence. Is that what... Is that what God means when he says we need to deny ourselves, we need to devote ourselves to him? Is that what he's really teaching here? There certainly is a price to pay for following Christ. There certainly is a price that is paid. We, we live in a society in where Christianity, for many years, has been cheap. And what I mean by that is it, it has not really cost us much. To put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I remember when I was in Bible college, I had the opportunity to go to the country of Pakistan. When I was in Pakistan, I met believers that had death sentences. Their family had actually taken out a death contract on them. I met believers where their family had actually tried to kill them, and in one case, lit this person on fire, trying to kill them only because they accepted Christ. We we live in a land where Christianity is cheap. It does cost. There is a price to pay for following Christ. And if you believe, but if you believe the life of a disciple is disappointing, a joyless journey, you don't understand the biblical teaching. Jesus has called us to the best life possible. One that has meaning, and one that produces lasting results. Jesus has called us to a life of joy, a life of happiness, a life of, of devotion to Him. And when we have our priorities right, when we, have, when we are becoming a follower of Him, and we are devoted to Him, it is amazing. The peace that passes all understanding and the joy that he brings. Matthew 11, 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. John 10, 10, says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. It's really almost a joke to speak of all that we've given up for for the Lord. He takes the lives that we give him. He takes our lives, lives that without him would be destined to vanity and waste, with no eternal or lasting significance. And then he uses them in his great work, with eternal value. When we give ourselves completely over to Him, He takes our lives and He uses them in His work. Let me just tell you, it is a wonderful, fulfilling, and rewarding life. The return on investment of our lives for Christ is a dividend that brings glory to our Savior and is in our best interest. I don't know anywhere else where I can invest money or things and receive an eternal return on investment. A few few months, about a year, year and a half ago, I took a very small amount of money and invested it in Bitcoin. I I mean, we're talking like 50 bucks. I was just kind of dabbling around it. Um, And that investment really has not returned much of anything to this point. The price has been all over, it's been up and down. It really hasn't returned much of anything. But statistically, if I hold that for another 10, 15, 20 years, there's there's a possibility that I'll get a, a small return on the investment. But then what? have that small return. It lasted for a short time. And then it's done. It's over. It's gone. When we invest our lives for Christ, that investment, that return on investment, lives for all eternity. When I was growing up, I heard it put this way. We have at least two banks in our life. We have our bank account where salary, our money, is deposited into. And we use that bank account to pay bills and to buy things and to get things. We have an investment in that bank. We have money in that bank, we have an investment in that bank. And that bank, it's necessary for life, I mean it's really hard to do anything in this world today without having some form of bank account. It's needed, but when we die, any money in that account is no longer ours. It goes to our heirs, it goes to pay the final estate, it goes to pay funeral expense, but it does not go into the grave with us. And even if we did what the Egyptians did and other other people did, and we put treasures in the grave with us, all we've done is burial. To where no one benefits of them. But the second bank account is an eternal bank account. It is a bank in heaven. And in the heavenly bank account, that bank lasts for all eternity. Put it a little bit differently, I remember growing up, um, there was a time, this would be probably in the late 70s, early 80s, that one of the banks in the small town in Indiana I grew up in went belly up. And, um, Some family members had a loan at that bank, and at that time, the bank called the loan. And they had to come up with and just really gather stuff together. And as a result of the bank going belly up, they lost some property. You know, in the heavenly bank account, that bank will never go belly up. I said a few minutes ago that that um, I dabble just a little bit with Bitcoin, and I, I really don't have any real investment in there outside of, like I said, about 50 bucks. That's about it. That's about all I've put in. If I listen to some financial gurus, I've thrown my 50 dollars away, and that will never come back to me. It will never really amount to anything. I've wasted my money. There's some very well-known people that just really do not like Bitcoin as an investment, and it's very possible, that's one reason why I only put a very small amount of money into it. Um, On the other hand, an investment in the heavenly bank accounts will reap dividends for all eternity. The return on investment of our lives is a dividend that brings glory to our Savior and is in our best interest. Discipleship requires a decision. Discipleship requires denial. Discipleship requires devotion. And discipleship requires determination. Discipleship requires determination. Mark 8, 36-38 For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore therefore, shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Those who decide to follow after Jesus must learn to determine the value of things from God's perspective. We must learn to, to change the way we look at things and look at things from the value of God's perspective. Jesus asks two questions to get his disciples thinking about this point. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall it profit a man if he gain everything, if he has the largest bank account, all of the money, if he he has all of the power that one could possibly have, and yet he dies without Christ? What profit is there in that? What shall a man give? in exchange for his soul. Seeing things from God's perspective means understanding that what really matters in life is that which counts for eternity. I just finished one of my master's classes. I submitted the final um, on Friday evening for one of my master's classes. In the whole scheme of eternity, that master's degree really matters Little to nothing in the whole scheme of eternity. We need to see things as God sees them. Understanding that what really matters is what counts for all eternity. If all that master's degree gives me is education and I never take and I never use that education for the furtherance of Christ, it is worthless. Eliza, I'm going to pick on Eliza for just a minute. She's wanting to go to school to get a teaching degree. If all she does, she gets that teaching degree, and if all she does is use that teaching degree to just teach kids how to read, write, and, and arithmetic, it's wasted. But if, as she's teaching, she could use that teaching degree and opportunity to make an investment in the lives of her students, and even possibly lead some of those students to a saving knowledge of Christ, it matters for all eternity. Man consists of a body, a soul, and a spirit. If we are saved, our spirits will spend eternity in heaven with Christ. But if we fail to accept Him, we will lose our opportunity to live for that which will outlast this world, and that which will outlast, and what will outlast forever. The gospel was mentioned in verse 35, which assures us that saved people live forever in God's presence. And then verse 38 spoke of Christ and His words, which are also Forever. If we fail to accept Him, we will lose our opportunity to live for that which will outlast this world. Revelation 1.18 says, I am that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Now, I cannot say that I have the keys of heaven and hell, but as Jesus Christ said here, I can say that I am He that was liveth and was dead. The book of Ephesians, along with other passages of the Bible, teaches that we were dead in trespasses and sins before we accepted Christ. And I am now made alive. And behold, I am now alive forevermore. Matthew 24, verse 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Psalms 119, verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. In the final verse of Mark 8, Jesus spoke of his return in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That refers, many people believe, to a second coming which begins with his millennial reign. Christians will reign with him for 1,000 years before we enter into heaven, but if we fail to follow him with our lives, we'll suffer loss at that time. No cross, no glory. The investment that we make in living for Christ now will go with us into eternity. It will make a difference for eternity. Stephen Davy told a story that illustrates the life of discipleship. In the mid-1800s, Henry Dunant was a wealthy 30-year-old Swiss banker. He went to France to meet with Napoleon about a business venture that he knew would make them very rich. When he arrived in France, he was told that the general had already taken off for war, which was being fought nearby. So Dunant, being the aggressive entrepreneur that he was, got on his horse and took off for the battlefield, hoping to catch Napoleon before the battle began. When he arrived at the top of the hill overlooking the field where they were fighting, he noticed that he was already too late. He saw the cavalry groups charge and collide. He never went back to Switzerland. He stayed in that town for three weeks helping those who had been injured and helping bury the dead. Henry Dunant was a man who had now found another passion. He spent his entire fortune and his entire life founding an organization to help those in need. Finally, in 1901, he was exonerated. He was given the Nobel Peace Prize with a handsome sum of money attached to it. He gave it all away to the cause that he had founded. Does anybody know what cause that was? the Red Cross. What would happen if we as believers, if we as the members of the Old Baptist Church became just as captivated as Dunant did with the cause that consumed his life. That cause, the cause of the Red Cross consumed his life from that point on. What would happen if we as believers? became as consumed with the cause of Christ. Such a surrender would lead to a radical lasting life changes and a legacy testifying to the greatness of Christ. Such a surrender is really what God is asking. And if we have to stop and think about it, is He really asking that much? Can we not trust in His love and what He has already done for us? You see, when we recognize that somebody has our best interest at heart and is working for our best, it becomes easy to surrender. To surrender our all to them, because we put our faith and trust in them that they are working for our best. But is that not what Christ has done for us already? Is he not working for our best? How can we not surrender all to him? As the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and I'm going to paraphrase it and do my own Eliot version of it, when we consider all that Christ has done, when we consider His death on the cross, when we consider how He takes all things and works them for our good, when we consider the love that He has shown for us, how can we not present our the bodies a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable response, which is our reasonable duty? This passage at the end of Mark, Jesus Christ is telling, in end of Mark chapter 8, Jesus Christ has begun calling his disciples to a life of discipleship. And that same call goes out to each one of us today. I challenge you, consider your life. Give your all to him. Don't invest in temporal things, but invest in eternity. And you will never regret. Let's pray. Dear God, this passage for many, many years has been challenging to me personally to give you my all to seek after and to follow you in everything and in every aspect of life. Lord, we ask God now that you will help each one of us to embark upon that challenge if we have not already. And Lord, if we have already embarked upon that challenge, if we have already surrendered our all to you, help us to live each and every moment in light of that surrender, giving ourselves totally and completely to you. In your name we pray.